1: The doctor is in. All right, Dr. Batar. we got it. I, I, last hour, I was really slamming doctors, and I know how much you get mad at me when I do that, but uh, <laughs> we might have to do a little bit more of it. Cancer, definitely a prime discussion this hour with you on Advanced Medicine.
2: Well, I am ready to uh, talk with you. I saw the topics that we want to cover today, and this subject has been brought up on many occasions when I'm lecturing and um, I think you know already we've discussed off the air the familiarity that I have with this particular subject a number of times this has occurred in my own patient practice with my own clinical uh, population.
1: Yes, we got a couple of stories here. Uh, One of them was published on Natural News. Uh, Another cancer doctor admits fabricating false positives in order to profit from selling toxic chemotherapy uh, and more doctors now are confessing to intentionally, intentionally diagnosing healthy people with cancer to make money. Now, I'm not saying here that every doctor that's an oncologist is doing this. That's not the point of us bringing this up. But I'm highly suspicious of even those who maybe mean well or intend well, that they're diagnosing cancer when it isn't really there or if it's there, it's not there in any consequential way that they could argue you need to poison the body nearly to death in order to save the patient.
2: Yeah, and you know, Robert, that I do not make any excuses for physicians as it is, but I can tell you that part of this is the litigious society that we're in, and in order to cover their rare ends, what they will do is they will err on what they call the side of caution, whereas in fact it's not erring on the side of caution because for them, yes, it may be erring on the side of caution because they are now saying, oh, there's a cancer, and Hey, if you didn't have cancer, well, that's good news. But the problem is that once the person's got the diagnosis of cancer, they've basically got a death sentence because they're going to get chemo and they're going to get radiation. And those two things by themselves will cause an increase in oxidative stress, uh, annihilation of the inherent immune system, or whatever is left, based upon you know, after all the toxicity exposures that we've had. So they're... The compromised immune system is now annihilated completely from the radiation chemo. And if they didn't have cancer originally, they will have cancer and other problems, and they will have an ultimately um, uh, earlier demise than they would have had that doctor made not made that erroneous diagnosis.
1: Right. Well, in the case of of, uh, this girl, Cassandra, she's 17 years old. And I know you don't have that information in front of you. I just want to lay it out for you a little bit. Uh, she had been to, I don't remember, 10, 11, 12 doctors, and none of them knew what was going on with her. Finally, one of the doctors at the end says, oh, yeah, it's lymphoma. And, and now suddenly they say you have to have chemo. And they, the mother and the daughter, she's a single mom. She's a 17-year-old girl. They, they look at this and they say, you know what, we don't want to do chemo. We want to look at other, other options. We want more information. We don't feel like poisoning because they started seeing the long-term ramifications of even if you survive the lymphoma, they say, oh, 50% survival rate. Five years and one day later, you might have another cancer or you might be sterile and never able to have children because of this treatment. Couldn't there be another way to go?
2: Of course, and you know that there's there's a much better way to go. Uh, the, the problem here is you're looking at issues, uh, v- variable factors that come into play here. So when you've got the litigious society, once you've got once you've got the doctors that are practicing quote the standard of care and so histologically speaking when you look at the slide and if it's not quite clear which way it could be. Could it be normal? Could it be pathological? Oh well let's just call it cancer because you know we're erring on the side of caution. Then you've got the other issues where you've got unscrupulous doctors that are uh, just trying to increase their revenue streams, so they're charging people for treatments that are necessary. In fact that's Exactly, under the pretense of what the medical board came after me for doing treatments that were unnecessary, taking advantage of uh, cancer patients, and they basically charged me with ethical breach of conduct and Of course, you know we had forty some patients lined up ready to testify, as you know the story, and five did testify, stage four all uh, considered to be terminal, all with diagnosis that were confirmed and and all of them three years or more, one was five years out, and one was eight years out from the cancer now. You know when you look at all these different variables, obviously it's not as clear of a of a picture as to what's going on here. However, if we take away the doctors that are erring on the side of caution or in, you know what, what you and I would both consider malpractice, but they would consider <laughs> well you know we it's better to call it than not call it um, right. which actually has its own sequela, you take those doctors aside and then you take uh take aside those that are uh truly um well-intentioned, but have made an error, just mistakes, okay? Or let's just call it incompetent. Let's call it, you know, black is black, white is white. Let's call this what it is. They're incompetent. They make the wrong diagnosis. Then you've got left over with that third category of those that are uh, truly breaching ethics and violating their fiduciary and ethical responsibilities and taking advantage of people by misdiagnosing them intentionally. And it's not just in oncology, by the way, Robert. This is how
1: no auto mechanics do it. I mean, no, you
2: know, you don't... In me- yeah, in the medical profession, I'm talking about. It's very, very well established in cardiovascular disease. Cardiac surgeons doing surgeries that are unnecessary. About five, six, seven years ago, there was a, there were a number of doctors in California that were actually that went to jail because they were doing all these surgeries, all these bypasses that were unnecessary. In fact, in Burton Goldberg's book, and you know, Burton's an interesting person to bring up. Burton's considered and by some people the father of alternative medicine. He wrote The Definitive Guide to Cancer, The Definitive Guide to Alternative Medicine. And I actually took care of Burton about 13 years ago with the diagnosis of cancer. Just one of 13 patients that I've treated supposedly with the diagnosis of cancer that came to us and we worked them up and found that they didn't have any cancer. And, and Burton has had cancer, but that wasn't what he was being treated for. What he was about to be treated for, for cancer, was not cancer at all. Um, so right. Burton actually, in his book, has written about the cardiovascular uh, uh, cases where doctors from Vanderbilt and um, I believe I th- I think believe it was Emory and Vanderbilt if I'm not mistaken but there were two cardiovascular surgeons that both are on record for saying that 95% of all coronary artery bypass grafts, ca- cabbages or, or uh, bypass surgeries and 98% of all um, uh, arteriograms uh, all the PTCs the percutaneous transhuman coronary angioplasty So 95% of all surgeries and and 98, 99% of all of these uh, outpatient procedures for cardiac disease are completely unwarranted, have no basis for being done. But they're still being done. Why? Because this is how the system is set up. This is how, in fact, it's even considered acceptable in that realm because that's where the standard of care has been defined. As an example, let's talk about left ventricular ejection fraction. Patients that need a heart transplant yeah, the, the the normal criteria is that you have to have an ejection fraction of at least 30 percent, 35 percent, in order to be able to survive a surgery like that. But the surgery is not indicated unless you have a left ventricular ejection fraction below 25. So here's a case now of a situation where you know that you're not going to get that much of a benefit unless your ejection fraction is below 25. If you need a, if you need a uh, bypass, but in order to survive the bypass, you need to have an ejection fraction of at least 35 to get into the surgery and survive it. And so the standard of care allows you to do a procedure that really isn't necessary until the ejection fraction drops below 25, you know, below 25. So my my point being, again, that it's almost the standard has created this uh, acceptance, this green light, Mm -hmm. that okay, even though it's not necessary, it's okay to do it. Mammograms, perfect example.
1: Mammograms, Mammograms, yes.
2: Studies have shown that mammogram does not increase uh, lifespan. The, the study that was done in China that had 19,000 women where they did breast exams, they found that the mortality rate from doing breast exams, self uh, conducted breast exams versus mammograms, mammograms showed no increase in lifespan by doing mammograms. And if, in fact, I think they distorted the data because you've got a compression of the tissue, of the, of the breast tissue, and you do the mammograms, so is causing trauma. It's causing inflammation, you're irradiating that area. So I think there's a much higher incidence of, the, of cancer in people that have had mammograms, but they kind of skewed over that data. What they were trying to show is the increase in lifespan, mammograms versus stuff exam, and they found there was no increase in lifespan, no benefit. and yet they still do mammograms left, right, and center.
1: Right. Well, Dr. Batar, I want to bring up the other point, and, and we've talked about it off the air as well. The amount of cancer diagnoses that aren't actually cancer. Uh, and how this is happening? Because now we're not talking about those who are malicious necessarily, like some that are in these articles that are, you know, defrauding Medicare and Medicaid as well as the people themselves to in, in order to bill for extremely expensive treatments that are unneeded. But what about those that you know maybe sincere? I mean, this happens a lot. We've seen misdiagnoses in all areas. Why not cancer? And. Are people now being, uh, especially with children, being wrongly accused of medical abuse or neglect just because they want a second opinion? This is what's happening seemingly.
2: Yeah, well, I think that they come back into that same area of, um, you know, the children being misdiagnosed. I think you're coming back into the same area uh, as uh, incompetence. These doctors are either incompetent or they have a higher agenda, that agenda being highly suspicious because it has nothing to do with the benefit of the child here in question. It has to do with all the ego of the doctor trying to override the rights of the parent by saying that hey I'm the doctor I know what's best for your child and again this comes back into the fundamental um, choice of freedom that you know is the basis of essentially this radio show when we talk about it not just health but all aspects of freedom so you have the freedom to make the decision of what type of treatment your child needs if the child even has that problem in the first place and I think that in the case of children the doctors that may be more egotistically inclined know mm-hmm. that they have certain powers that that they're given to uh under again pretense of protecting the child they will take advantage of that situation so
1: well we got less than a minute before the break but i, I want to continue this conversation especially when it comes to something like lymphoma because what do we know about the lymphatic system obviously they say lymph lymphoma can you make it a little clearer for our, our listening audience on the the cancer called lymphoma what it is and could it really be lymphatic stasis, toxicological burden in the body, the excretory system not functioning and getting rid of poisons that are l- resulting in damage to cells that eventually, over time, become these so-called rebellious cancer cells?
2: Well, Robert, I think that's a fantastic question, and of course, you said we have less than a minute, so we've probably got less than 20 seconds now, but let me try to do some damage to that, uh, that question. Very simply stated, I believe that all cancer is a stasis of the lymphatic system, a stagnation of the lymphatic system. Hey, let's
1: hold it there. Hold it there. That's fantastic. Right there, we're going to go. For any of you that have heard a diagnosis of lymphoma, what is it related to this statement about the lymphatic system? And what about all the other cancers as well? Dr. Batar is here. His excellent book, bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Check it out. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Roberts.
1: Advanced medicine is what we do each and every week. Kicking off the week on Mondays with Dr. Rasha Bittar, author of the international bestseller "The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away," and you can tell the depth of uh, immediately when we stimulated the talk on discussion on cancer uh, out of the gate with Dr. Bittar. It went pretty intense, and I, that's why we make it as easy as possible for you. You can hear the Roberts Scabell Show around the world through our syndicator at GCN, of course, national news radio, iTunes, et cetera. The easiest place to pick up on what we do with Dr. Batar is at medicalrewind.com each and every week. Downloadable for free. And you can listen and listen and listen. I encourage you to re-listen to our opening today as well to get the perspectives on the, the wrong, wrong, wrong diagnosis of cancer as well. Uh, and speaking of that, you know, the, the, the lymphatic system, you know, some of the cancers carry the lymph right in their name. Yet the doctors are not trained to move the lymph, to detox the lymph. They're trained to poison it and everything else in the body. If they're an oncologist, Doctor Batar.
2: Yeah. So if you ask any patient that I've ever treated for cancer, going all the way back to 1996, in in the manner that we treat it now, and even prior to that, when I was in conventional medicine, when I was you know practicing um, within the realms of conventional medicine, I guess you could say. Um, even at that time the role of the lymphatics was always something that intrigued me but i can tell you that at least since nineteen ninety six so in the last nineteen years every patient that i have seen that i've treated with cancer and you can see this on anything that i've written uh, on the dvds on cancer Untold truth i have equated cancer with one specific condition and that is stagnation of the lymphatics in my belief if you have stagnation of the lymphatics, you will have cancer, and that if you have cancer, you have uh, lymphatic system stagnation. In other words, they're they're um, equivalent. They, it, mm-hmm. it, when you make one statement, you're making the other statement. Now, if you look at some of the people historically that have done really impressive work in the field of cancer, like Nason, Gaston. Mm-hmm. That gentleman, for example, that uh, physician, I, I believe he's Canadian or French, actually. But he, was he was French,
1: yeah. He came, by the way, you can read about him in The Persecution and Trial of Gaston Nassens, and I was written by Christopher Bird. What an extraordinary book, exciting, gripping, you know, a real-life uh, trial, if you will, that he went through. He was attacked for what he had discovered.
2: Right, exactly. And And his entire basis of his treatment for all cancers, Is actually a specific injection given in a specific area in the inguinal nose, in the lymphatic system to stimulate the lymphatics. Now, we do specific things in our clinic to stimulate the lymphatics. It doesn't matter whether it's a lymphoma patient, if it's a solid tumor patient, if it's a uh, leukemia type, blood dysgracia type cancer, it doesn't matter. We always, always, always deal with the lymphatics. Now, since we brought up the lymphatics and since you open up this can of worms, we have to discuss this. <laughs> yes. When a patient gets diagnosed with cancer and they end up having a biopsy or a lumpectomy or a mastectomy or a, you know, a surgical debridement or a um, debulking procedure or whatever they do, they always take out the lymph nodes and see how many of the lymph nodes are involved.
1: That's what I was going to bring up to you. I say that they always pull out the lymph nodes, the very drainage canal of the body that's critical for preventing these cancers.
2: Exactly. So they take these lymph nodes out. Again, they're looking at the lymph nodes to see, oh, how many of these lymph nodes are positive for cancer? And if all the lymph nodes are negative, then they say, okay, it's not that extensive. And if one of the nodes becomes positive, oh, my God, this is worse. It's spreading throughout the body. Now I want everybody to understand this concept. The lymph nodes are the oil filters of your body. The creator, the ultimate engineer designed a system so that when the blood is being filtered, it is being filtered throughout these the the, the organs of filtration, kidneys, livers, et cetera. But he also made an, uh, a secondary circulation system that's also a filtering system for the blood. So these lymph nodes, their job is to collect debris, garbage, whatever shouldn't be in the body, And the more garbage you get in there, uh, the the more it'll swell up. When it swells up, it's not a bad sign; it's a good sign. It means your lymph nodes, your immune system's working. So if you Hmm. get a cold, for example, you get upper respiratory infection, you'll notice your throat, the lymph nodes will swell up, or uh, behind your ears, the lymph nodes will swell up. Or if you get a um, some type of you cut your leg, you scratch your uh, toe, you get an ingrown toenail, um, you get a laceration, abrasion on your leg, you will notice that your inguinal nodes in your uh, between your legs uh, in the inguinal region will start to uh, swell up are we already at the bottom of the hour are we already yeah
1: already? yeah we got we got here quickly we did
2: okay, so basically you want me to stop or you want me to try to finish this off
1: no we're going to come back and finish this off we'll also talk about some of the known contributors to these cancers six cancer causers you might be finding in your home right now that you should get rid of as well as detoxing them from your body Right now with Dr. Raja Bittar, Advanced Medicine, MedicalRewind.com. If you want to listen after the fact, we'll be right back.
0: The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert.
1: All right, if you miss a moment or if you need to hear it again, as I said, available all over the world at naturalnewsradio.com archives as well as GCN or syndicator and directly to the Medical Rewind. Medicalrewind.com makes it easy for you to plug into all the things we do together with Dr. Rashid Batar. You were just on the edge of the lymphatic finale, the lymph node explanation, and we've got to go back to it, Dr. Batar.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Robert. Um, thanks for remembering. Basically, I just think it's really important for people to understand how important the lymphatics are to the overall functioning of the body and how crucial of a role they play in the, uh, as far as the cancer is concerned and, and how inherently flawed the thought process is that we're taking out these lymph nodes. You know, we've talked about this, for example, with other types of scenarios. We've talked about the gallbladder removal, and then I had the surgeon that had said, in a surgical history, remember that story, Robert, when uh, he said, well, I had a scan down and my gallbladder was down to 10% functioning,
0: mm-hmm. and that's
2: why I had a cold cystectomy done. And he and I both had the epiphany at the same moment looking at each other like, wait a second, you know, you've got 100% functioning of an organ, you drop it down to 10%, so what do we do? Instead of, like, saying, oh, we got to upregulate it to 20%, 30 40%, bring it back to normal, we just say, well, it's already down to 10%, let's just take the whole damn thing out. I mean, it just doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. And so when right. it's this is a very, very crucial point, that we go in there, and the very component, the very system that's designed to clean our blood and to filter our blood, to and we know every doctor, every medical student, every nurse knows that when you have lymph nodes swollen up, that means that they're doing a job—they're capturing the virus, the bacteria, whatever's going on in your body at that time. If you if you got a cut in your leg and your inguinal load start to swell up, it's because it's capturing all the
1: uh, yeah, it's doing its job.
2: Bacteria. Yeah, exactly it's just cleaning up everything so now why do we go in when we've got an issue with cancer the the ultimate problem that we need to get cleaned up from and remove the lymph nodes under just the pretense of hey we got to see if they're clean or not because the i i know is- I,
1: I i think about we've talked about this at, at, at length too the most important job in any community is the garbage man imagine yeah. if You know, we're riding down the road and we see this garbage truck filled with garbage. We say, how outrageous. There's a dangerous thing filled with garbage. Let's remove them from the roads. And they're never allowed to come back and remove the garbage. What's going to happen? And that's what we're describing in the body.
2: That's that's a beautiful analogy. Very, very graphic and and brings the point exactly where I want it to be brought, which is at the forefront. You must understand that you are removing the one most crucial component of removing garbage out of your body when you remove the lymph nodes. And so if you, God forbid, have cancer or you have some type of issue where the doctor talks about removing lymph nodes, tell them, figure out some other way you're not taking out my lymph nodes. Because here's the problem. Once you take the lymph nodes out, you can't wash them off, clean them, and put them back in the body like you can <laughs> a filter in a truck. You can't do that. Once I, you yeah, I,
1: out, I've never heard of a lymph replacement where they can replace your lymph. Have that, I've never heard of that.
2: But if there was such a thing, that would be something that I would actually recommend.
1: Yeah, putting in more lymphatic uh, uh, drainage uh, pathways, absolutely, not less. Now, in the, there's a story here out of Real Pharmacy, and it's spelled F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, which is kind of cute, uh, about six causers of cancer in your home, potentially, that you should get rid of. And this is a pop quiz for everybody out there. We went through the list, and thankfully we would already removed these things. But number one on the list, I don't think it's in any order particularly, uh, talk about candles. People think candles are so innocent, but there are certain things that they put in these candles including some have lead wires in their wicks. The scented ones contain certainly uh, carcinogenic fragrances. If we're not talking essential oils, many of these things are synthetic and these exposures are, are, are very real in hormone dysregulators or disruptors.
2: Actually, Robert, you know, that's a really, really good point to bring up because it is something that I came across a number of years ago, but I completely had forgotten mm-hmm. about that. And I think the best, rule to remember is use essential oils if you're going to use for um, something that's going to be, you know, for, for, the, for the smell, for the incense, for the right. ambiance.
1: Yeah, exactly. They have essential oil diffusers. I mean, people that have these air fresheners, and that's one of the things on the list. I mean, these are horrific in what they can do. Known volatile organic compounds, VOCs, uh, toxins, phthalates. All in these plug ins, these glade plug ins that people still think are just, oh, look, it smells like a pine tree. Well, that ain't not, that's not a pine tree.
2: Yeah, it's that the the ingestion of some of these fumes, in fact, uh, inhalation of vapors, it's one of the most significant ways an individual can become uh, exposed to various types of toxins. In fact, mercury, when we look at mercury, the Mm -hmm. most detrimental way of getting mercury exposure is inhalation of mercury, of combustion of fossil fuels and inhalation of mercury. So, um, you know, we, we sometimes don't think about breathing in certain things. We also think about eating and drinking uh, right. toxic substances. We don't think about inhaling them.
1: Well, yeah, and even when you mentioned the mercury, the dental amalgams, uh, the chewing, and we've seen evidence of vapor release upon use of those those things so uh we know that it's not just the fact that they're there but the release of the vapor as well is really the critical part suddenly it becomes bioavailable in a way that when it's somewhat locked away it's not as uh able to do that
2: yeah absolutely it, it it's one of those one of those uh, situations where um you know when you can't you can control what you eat and you can control mm-hmm. what you drink to a certain extent you know what you you know you can make a choice and say, I'm not going to drink this water in this plastic bottle, I'm not going to eat this type of food. But you really right. can't make a choice of what you're breathing. And many times we're exposed and we don't even know that we're being exposed to stuff
1: like that. Yeah, uh, So I mean, it's, look, look, it's look up really, in the sky. Really yeah, art supplies are listed here. Epoxy, rubber cement glues, acrylic paint solvents, uh, permanent markers sometimes contain uh, uh, certain carcinogens and alert allergy-inducing things. Shampoos. So simple shampoos that are not just simple, right? That they're chemical conglomerate compounds you can hardly read or pronounce. Uh, and there are safe options out there, but just look at what's in your shampoo. It's not so innocent. Antiperspirants, uh, deodorant antiperspirants uh, often linked to virulent cancers, some with aluminum that stop the perspiring. Of course, that's a metal in there. Interestingly enough, at the breast tissue, at the lymphatic points under the arm, a great place to absorb toxic metals. I think not, but that's where they're being uh, put for so many people even today. And then the dogs Robert, agree. Robert, <laughs> I think the dogs were in agreement.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that last part? Because I, I lost it. I didn't. I, I, the phone went out.
1: Yeah, no problem. I was just mentioning the antiperspirants are on the list, the deodorants, but particularly the antiperspirants with aluminum placed underneath the armpits. Another strong lymphatic point. The breast tissue is there. A lot of breast cancer is associated with the use of the antiperspirants as well. That's one of these household chemicals that people don't think about often enough.
2: Well, that's, uh, aluminum is a very, very big one in the antipersal. That's without any doubt. Um, but all those things that you just mentioned, uh, significant cause of toxicity. And again, people just don't think about these things. They think, oh, I, I'm not eating it. I'm not drinking it. So it must not be, you know, it's not something I need to worry about. But if mm-hmm. any point that we take away from this is that some of the more innocuous things that we may not even uh, be aware of, we need to be uh, ever vigilant of making sure that we're not being exposed and our children aren't being exposed to things that, we otherwise would not you know we would otherwise would not be even thinking of I'll give you one example: the whenever I pump gasoline in my car or my truck. one thing I'm thinking always is like, is breathing in that fumes of the uh, of the gasoline and I hold my breath my kids always laugh when I come in you know
1: I, yeah, I do that too or or I try to stand upwind. if there's a wind blowing I want to get on the side where it'll blow the other way
2: right because it's a very very common thing that we're all getting exposure to and Remember that uh, fossil fuels, you know, the combustion of fossil fuels. So when you talk about gasoline, you're looking at lead, you're looking at mercury, you're looking at cadmium. And those are the three metals that have, they're the only three metals that have been studied to see the synergistic destructive nature uh, as far as the symbiotic uh, nature of these metals. And they all have an additive destructive value, but the only three that have been studied, and that was a study done in 1972, 1973, I believe, they only looked at three metals, and that was cadmium, mercury, and lead. And an LD1 of mercury and an LD1 of cadmium and an LD1 of lead in the same population is our LD1,000. So it's absolutely insane how bad they are when you put them together.
1: Yeah, well, it's amazing that we all survive childhood, those of us that do. But now the assault, as we talked about with vaccines, direct injection of these things is causing devastation like never before. Uh, shower curtains are last on the list. The plastic shower curtains contain many toxic chemicals. Uh, again, VOCs, volatile organic compounds. If you've ever opened one of those things from the from the big department stores, and eh, you just if you ever use one, outgas it for weeks before you even. But I'd rather have you use safer materials there as well. Now, Doctor Bittar, I want to hit into the liver because we have a question of the day about the liver. And Robert,
2: before, uh, we, before we do that, oh, go ahead, bring up one of those when you were talking about the, you know, the curtains. Uh, yep. That actually goes uh, for. You didn't mention carpets uh, yep. or fabrics used for curtains, um, you know, in, in, or, or um, liners and that type of stuff, uh, mattresses. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff within mattresses that outgass, and uh, some of these uh, foam mattresses, too. I, I don't know whether that's on the list or not, yeah. uh, but those are other components, too, that are, you know, the memory foam mattresses. Some of those things are really, really bad.
1: Yeah, be careful with the outgassing of these things. So check it out before you bring it into your home. Uh, now, the liver. This one is from a woman named Charity asking about her husband lot of liver issues here. Uh, enzymes are through the roof. AST, ALT, we're in the 500s and 800s. His actin is in the 30s. And uh, there's other things going on, but they're saying that he has autoimmune hepatitis and or primary biliary cirrhosis of the liver. Specialist wants to do a biopsy, ultrasound. Husband refused. He wants to go more holistic. Uh, you know, listen, we, we, we're not given specific diagnoses or treatments for this one person, but in general, when we talk about the liver, the good news here is... The liver is probably the most regenerative organ that we have. And I've seen people come back from near dead liver to regenerate healthy livers when they do the right thing. I'm not saying it's the easiest thing, but it can be done.
2: Actually, Robert, um, in the right setting, and if the doctor knows what they're doing and they have the right tools, it is an extremely easy thing to do. And we have done it on a very, very reproducible um, basis. We, we, we do it on a very consistent basis. Um, we have people that have liver functions in the range that you're describing. And Mm -hmm. in 24 to 48 hours, sometimes, we've got them back down to normal.
1: Right, exactly.
2: In fact, in the cardiovascular DVD that you've seen, uh, we've got examples of people with not only liver functions, but lipids and all those things you can see before and after. And the blood work is, you know, you see the pictures of the blood work before and after, and you can see the date and the time the blood was drawn. And after what type of treatment, how fast some of those things can be changed. So, yes, absolutely it can be done. And and you're absolutely right. The liver is one of the most generative organs in the body. And thank God it is because it's one of the most crucial for detoxification.
1: Yeah, we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't make it through all the things we've described this hour without a healthy, functioning liver and lymph. Even when it seems seemingly compromised, it's still doing extraordinary things to keep us alive. By the way, there are lots of great videos and DVDs available. They're linked up each week in the show notes here, including one called Cancer, the Untold Truth that you can get. He talks about the dirty dozen chemicals, some of which we mentioned today. We're going to take a break. We'll be back, maybe mention a couple more things for the liver before Super Don has his say on a silly story. Because he usually likes to do that to Dr. Batar. Stick around, lots more to go.
0: The revolution will be broadcast The Robert Scott Bell Show. and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert.
1: Hey, Dr. Bittar, one of our longtime listeners out in California, Sherazade, says, Awesome the way Dr. Bittar explains the lymph nodes and how they work. Wow, thank you. She says, All I hear are doctors removing them for one reason or another. She's confirming exactly what we see all the time, hear all the time. So, uh, Dr. Bittar, you're definitely making some sense out there, and I appreciate that it's landing where it needs to land.
2: I think that if everyone remembers this general rule, and that is that whatever somebody wants to do when it comes to your body or anything for that matter to you, or to your child, it has to intellectually appeal to your raw cognitive sense. If it doesn't make sense to you, if it doesn't appeal to your own intellect, do not do it because there's mm-hmm. a, that, that is the universal consciousness guiding you saying, don't do this. It's not the right thing. So, right. And right. I appreciate the listener making that comment.
1: Yep, and here's another common sense for you. If this, if this strikes you as common sense, we've been talking about the lymphatic system. We've been talking about the liver. We've been talking about detoxify. How's this one? Three words. Drink more water.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hydrate. Yes, and, and, and make sure it's good and clean like we like it here. Uh, another aspect to that, liver, there are detox remedies and homeopathy. We've talked about the use of trace the trace element of uh, selenium, things that enhance glutathione production, movement, of course, lymphatic movement, exercise, all of these things. That's why people who exercise, even if they're not eating perfect, are stronger and they deal with these things a little better than those who are not moving. So, uh, a great, great hour again uh, of advanced medicine. Now, real quick, Dr. Batar, before we do the silly story, there's uh, a potential for an online seminar that we've got coming up in February that I'm just learning about.
2: Right. This seminar is, uh, this webinar is going to be um, really just for my own patients, but based upon Robert, our conversation, we're going to include all our listeners from all over the world and um, it will be limited to 1,000 attendees. They all have to be members of the association, which is normally a $99 annual membership, but we will uh, have everything set up so it's a $1 lifelong membership for anybody who's listening. It's it's one of the most significant game changers that I have seen as far as a tool that an individual can take and utilize in their own home uh, to Essentially, live our model, which is the power to heal is yours, and it Mm -hmm. is actually putting a tool in your hands. I I don't want to go into more detail because we know that we have many friends that are that are not really our friends that are listening to us too. So we won't get into those. Yeah, we won't get into that into the details there. But but hopefully, we we will have all the announcements and all the uh, information. It'll be sometime mid February
1: okay so as soon as it's up and available we'll actually have a banner up that you can sign up directly to link up to it get everything you need to know but i wanted to give you the first heads up look for a february event a webinar that we're going to be doing very very exciting now super don lighten up the mood not that we're bummed out actually i'm very empowered by what we've done this hour compared to where we had to start talking about some pretty horrific stories again i think we brought the power to heal back where it belongs do we need to bring it to the roadways as well
0: um. Yeah. I guess you could consider this uh, your traffic update here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. As I'm here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, helicopter. Um, <laughs>
1: Let's yeah. hear from Doctor Batar Black... One. No, the you chopper. Go.
0: Just recently well... in uh, Salem, South Dakota, they had a six-vehicle pileup on Interstate 90, and mm-hmm. uh, not, I, people aren't laughing yet. That's not. Okay. That's not funny. Okay. No. Um, yeah. Apparently, in this, I mean, huge pileup. One of the things was a uh, a giant semi-trailer carrying mm-hmm. a load of McDonald's French fries. Uh, apparently, it overturned, and the cops and the uh, workers there had to clean up 500 pounds of McDonald's French fries spread all over the interstate.
1: Well, you'd think that if it was really food, they would just leave it there. The animals would eat it, but we've heard that the animals won't even eat it.
0: You know, I I can't imagine. Well, I don't know. Maybe birds birds eat all kinds of stuff, though. That's well, the thing. certain you know? ones,
1: but I'm telling yeah. you that there are certain things that they won't even eat. Uh, you put them out there, they'll just leave them there, and they'll, they'll never decay. And that's another aspect of the toxicity we've been talking about this the hour, Doctor Bittar. If you if you think you can eat stuff coming out of that drive-through, and I'm not just picking on McDonald's, and, and and you know, be really healthy and optimal. I mean, that that's a that's another grand delusion.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing that the things that people are eating and that we promote in advertising on TV all the time that we're eating and how detrimental those things are to our system just eliminating those simple things you know, it's probably going to add 5, 10, 15 years onto your lifespan
1: Yep, absolutely, uh, and you don't want to live like a McDonald's and french fry, alright just uh, stay well, eat clean drink lots of water and keep listening to Advanced Medicine each week with Dr. Rasha Bittar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show where we remind you, what, Dr. Bittar, what do we tell him?
2: The power to heal is yours. It so is. The Robert Scott Scott
0: Bell Show.